And so today, as we're studying scripture, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be looking a little bit about how Jesus calls people to follow him. Sometimes he calls them in, a, in an occupational career kind of a way. Sometimes it's just for a moment. Or sometimes it's the kind of things that are so informal you don't even recognize it. But today, we're going to study Luke chapter 9 and see how Jesus calls and what is it that we do when he calls us. So, find Luke chapter 9 in your Bibles. We're going to be kind of similar to last week that we did with Luke chapter 8. We're going to be flying through the first 56 verses of it, but today we're going to really focus on Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. But a little bit of the context, because context matters, right? Background matters. We don't just pull verses out randomly from the Bible, because things can get really funky when we do that. So in Luke chapter 9, just a little bit of background, Jesus has been ministering for a little while, mostly around the Sea of Galilee and in that region. Jesus had, in the beginning of Luke chapter 9, sent out his 12 apostles, gave them power and authority over demons and to heal diseases. And they did that through villages everywhere. This all got the attention of Herod, who was kind of a king in the region. Herod is the one who killed John the Baptist. And Herod, hearing about all this stuff, asked to see Jesus. So there are highlights and there are lowlights. Crowds surrounded Jesus, so he taught them and healed them. And it says in Luke 9.17, that after Jesus multiplied five loaves of bread and, tw- and two fish, that all the people, thousands of people, ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. There were 12 baskets of leftovers. Really fun that there were 12 baskets of leftovers for the 12 apostles who were picking them up, signifying the 12 tribes of Israel. There was enough for everyone. And we're told this in Luke chapter 9. And then Jesus said this, after, after the feeding of those thousands of people, It says in Luke 9, 21, that Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Jesus said that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus, who's been feeding the people, says, I will take care of you, but not if you hold on to all the little things that you think are so important. He says, let go of all that stuff. Don't try to save your life. He says, come after me, and I will take care of you. After that, you can see how Jesus prayed. He talked with Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration. And then Jesus healed a boy in in verses 43 and 44. Jesus says to his disciples, then let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Jesus is doing amazing things, but talking about hard things. And then Jesus' disciples argued about who was the greatest. And again, this is fantastic stuff. Go home today and read Luke chapter 9 on your own. But Jesus' disciples, in the midst of all this stuff that Jesus is doing, they started arguing about who was the greatest. And so Jesus took a child into their circle. And said that whoever is the least among them would be the greatest. Sometimes Jesus' disciples just didn't get it. They didn't realize that discipleship is not about being great. It's about following the one who is great. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says that when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, 
That is taken up to heaven. Jesus is getting near the end of his ministry here on earth. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent his messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. So here's the picture. Jesus and his disciples and all these followers have been doing these miracles. Things are happening. The disciples don't always get it. Sometimes they're confused about the reality of their situation. But Jesus has been working and training and teaching them to follow after him. And now he has set his face on Jerusalem. He is focused. This is where he's going. He's been working out in the country, out in the regions further away. But now he's headed eventually to Jerusalem. He knows it. He knows that he's going to be a sacrifice. He knows that he's going to die. He knows that it's not just going to be riding out some wave of grace with a happy life for years and years. He knows that this is going to be hard. And so he sets his face on Jerusalem. And we find out here in verses 51 and 52 and 53 that he decided to go through Samaria, where the Samaritans were. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village to make preparations for him. And because he had his face set on Jerusalem, these Samaritans rejected him. For you and I, that doesn't mean a lot. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But here's the background, and this stuff is fascinating. I'm going to throw some Old Testament stuff at you. If you have your pens or your paper or your, or your notes, write these verses down, these chapters down, because you can go back and study some more later. Okay? We know from the book of 2 Kings, so that's in your Old Testament, and 2 Kings is an account of things that happened five and six and 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth. But we know from the book of 2 Kings in chapter 17 that Israel was split up. The nation of Israel at that time was split into 10 northern tribes, and there were the two southern tribes. And and in 722 B.C., Assyria, which was one of the neighboring countries, came and conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel and carried off all those people. So 700 years before Jesus, the Israelites are being Israel, But the Assyrians came and conquered them, and then they carried off all of the ten northern tribes. This is why the ten tribes in the Old Testament, they're called the ten lost tribes. But the the Assyrians only carried off the best and the brightest. They didn't want everybody to come back to Assyria. They just wanted all the people who could help Assyria. And so they carried off all of these Jewish folks, except for the ones who were not desirable. And about 700 years before Jesus then, the Assyrian king sent his own people into this region where the Jews had been removed to settle there. Now that area was called Samaria. And so the Assyrian king, after all the cream of the crop of the Jewish people were carried away to Assyria, sent his own people in to settle it, and these people intermarried over hundreds of years with the Jews who were not carried off into the exile, and this new mixed race, so to speak, became known as Samaritans. Some Jews who were left behind and other people who came in from Assyria, they have children, they build communities, and it says in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 41, says that even while these people, this new race of folks, these Samaritans, even while they were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. It says in 2 Kings 17, 41, that to this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. So these were people who had all kinds of backgrounds. They had all kinds of different religions. They mashed them all together. 
And it kind of looked a little bit Jewish, but it had some other kind of stuff that came from Assyria. And this is what was happening 700 years before Jesus. Well, who cares? Okay, we're getting there. That was in the year 722 that this exile happened. And the Assyrians began to come into this area formerly occupied by the Jews. 250 years later, okay, so this is about uh, 450 years before Jesus. The Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah record that Israelites from Judah, that is the southern tribe of Israel, the 10 northern tribes were carried off by the Assyrians, but but Judah stuck around for a while, but then they were exiled away to Babylon. Jewish people over the centuries coming and going all the time. But in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament, we saw that, that there were Jewish folks from Judah who were carried away to Babylon, but then they were allowed to come back. And these people who came back by the, under the, the banners of Cyrus and Darius, kings of Persia, these people came back and their first attempt at being a people was to build their temple again. And so in Ezra chapter 4, it says that these returning Jews, people who were coming back into their region where their ancestors had lived, these returning Jews began to build their temple as the people living in the region, now known as the Samaritans, They said, let us help you build. This is Ezra chapter 4. Let us help you build, you Jewish folks, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esarhaddon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. But in Ezra 4 verse 3, it says that the heads of the families of Israel answered these folks, these Samaritans, these ones who for hundreds of years have been kind of a mixture of all different kinds of people. The heads of the families of Israel who are now rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. And then in Ezra 4, 4, the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So, Here's the story. The Jewish people rebuilt their temple where they felt God called them to put it, in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans said, well, we're willing to help you. Way back, we have ancestry that's connected. And the Jewish folks said, no, you've been polluted. And so the Jewish people began to build their temple again. The Samaritans said, we'll help you. They said, no, you can't help us. So the Samaritans built their own temple. They built their own temple at Mount Gerizim until... A guy named John Hyrcanus, he was a Jewish fellow, 160 years before Jesus, went and tore that temple down. The Samaritans and the Jews fighting temples, all kinds of problems for years, for centuries. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. All because there was this thing that we used to be together, but then, no, your line's been polluted. No, your line's not faithful. Come to our temple. No, you can't come to that temple. Jesus wants to go through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem where his face is set. And he sends people into Samaria, says, make plans for me, find a place to stay. I'm going through there. But the people of Samaria said, you're going to Jerusalem. You're going to that town with those characters. We will not have any of your kind here. So Jesus was rejected by the Samaritans. And it says, now that we finally get back to Luke chapter 9, In verse 54, when Jesus' disciples named James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
It's almost like when Renee was in New York with those 30 blessed junior high kids, and they went and talked to someone on the street, and the person on the street said, no thanks, we don't want to talk. And the eighth grader said, Mrs. Alderfer, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? It's the exact same thing. Here are James and John. They're saying, these Samaritans, Jesus, they rejected you. Do you want us to call down heaven? And if you really want to get into some deep Old Testament Bible study, read 2 Kings chapter 1. You'll see how Elijah called down fire from heaven on people in the region of Samaria. Wonderful story. It'll turn your stomach, and then you can have lunch. James and John, the sons of thunder, Bonerges, said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Jesus' plans were not through with the Samaritans. We know from the book of Acts, and especially in Acts chapter 8, that the apostle Philip went to Samaria and preached the gospel there. And when he preached People accepted Jesus. Even these people of Samaria received the Lord, and they had the Holy Spirit fall upon them. That's the story with the Samaritans. A big mess, hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews for centuries. But in the time of Jesus, Jesus says, no, don't wipe them out. There'll be a time for dealing with them. And how did Jesus deal with them? Philip the apostle went and preached. Their hearts were changed. The Holy Spirit filled them. That's the story of the Samaritans. That's the story of this people who rejected Jesus and his apostles. That's one more example of the reality that some people loved Jesus. Some people hated Jesus. And some people didn't pay much attention to all, at all. This is the ebb and flow of ministry. This is the roller coaster of Jesus' life on earth with all kinds of different people, and you just never know who's going to respond and who's not. And now in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, after this whole Samaritan thing where James and John say, you want us to call down fire, Jesus? Jesus says, no, no leave them alone. It rebukes them. Guys, get your heads straight. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, where is Jesus headed? We know from earlier in Luke chapter 9 that he has set his face on where? Jerusalem. This is going to be his death. But he is headed there. He's going there with purpose. He was going to go straight through Samaria. They wouldn't have him, but now he's on the road. Somebody says, I'll follow you wherever you go. How does Jesus respond? Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus goes third person on these folks. He doesn't say, I have nowhere to lay my head. He says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Even the foxes have homes, the birds have homes, but the son of man has nowhere. Jesus didn't say that the man couldn't come along with him, but he warned him. He said, this is not a glamorous life because again, where is Jesus' face set? He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to his death. This person says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, really? Do you know where I'm going? Jesus didn't dress up the gospel with big promises. If you ever hear a preacher saying that if you'll send a little bit of money or, or put a little something in the bag that life is going to get better for you, you be real careful because that's not how Jesus talked. What did Jesus say? Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Was Jesus homeless? Well, he's clearly not poor. Remember last week we talked about Mary and Susanna and Joanna and, and all this crowd of people who surrounded him and took care of his needs? 
He had places to sleep, but he didn't have his own home. He didn't have some man cave that he could relax to in the evenings. Jesus knows what it is to be rejected. Jesus knows what it is to live on the road. Jesus says, you want to follow me, you need to get ready for that kind of a life as well. And here's my question, church. Here's the question for you and for me. Are we ready in our following Jesus to be rejected too? Are we ready in our following of Jesus to give up the comforts of home? Are we? Let's be specific. Are you ready to give up the comforts of your home, the one you live in right now? The one you've worked so hard to find, to buy, to pay for, to decorate. If Jesus would call you and say, leave that all behind, would you? Are you ready to leave that for Jesus? Now, listen, Jesus doesn't call everyone to leave home. Do you remember the man who was possessed by the legion of demons? The man who said, let me come along with you. Jesus said, no, go back home and tell the people there about me. See, Jesus doesn't call everybody to leave, but if he does call you to go, home had better not be the reason you say no. Does this make sense, church? Discipleship, Jesus says, is not about the comforts of home. Now, to another person, that was the first one who said, Jesus, I'll follow you. To another one, Jesus said, and this is verse 59, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father, which seems reasonable, right? But again, context matters. Now, remember, church, most of us sitting here are not Jewish folks, and none of us are Jewish folks living 2,000 years ago. Jewish people did not get embalmed in these days. When a Jewish person died, they were buried right away. We know in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts that Ananias fell over dead right there in the temple. So they picked him up, carried him out, buried him right away. Jewish people didn't get involved. When they died, they were buried then. What is this person saying if they're saying, Jesus, you've invited me to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. If they are there, it means dad's not dead yet. Because if dad was dead, they would have either already buried him or they'd be digging. Here's the picture. This person's father was not dead yet. They want to stay home until dad dies. And here's what a lot of commentators on the book of Luke say. They suggest that this person wants to stay home and says, wait until dad dies. I'll bury him and I'll get my inheritance and then I'll come along. That makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? When we see Jesus' response, which says, in verse 60, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It sounds reasonable for somebody to say, let me go first bury my father. But Jesus says, how long are you going to wait? How long are you going to go home and wait for dad to finally give you what you think you want? Jesus has his face set on Jerusalem and this guy's saying, yeah, but I need to get my inheritance. You don't understand what I have wrapped up in my family. Jesus says, your family doesn't need you to bury your father. I have work for you now. Will you give up your inheritance for me? How many of you have struggled to go to the mission field or go to a particular job because you knew that if you stayed home, there'd be money in it for you. There'd be property in it for you. There'd be preference in it for you. Maybe there's a farm in it for you. Hmm, that's hard. Jesus says, leave the dead that is, those people who have no time for me. 
Leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, does Jesus say that we shouldn't take care of our parents? No. No, Jesus cares a lot about family. But again, he's saying, I'm on a mission here. And if you want to come on this mission with me, you better get your priorities right. That means Jesus above all. And then in verse 61, we see a third person. They say, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. How long does it take to do that? How long does it take to say goodbye? I mean, why not just turn around, see ya, peace, I'm out. I mean, what are we talking about here? Jesus said to this person, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And any of you who have ever plowed anything know that looking back is no way to plow. How do you get a straight furrow? I know there's 25 of you in this room who have done this and can tell me. Do you get it by looking back and keeping an eye on that plow back there? No, because when you get to the end of the row, you get one of these deals. How do you get a straight line? You put your face on something at the end of the row, that fence post, that tree, that house, that rock, and you keep driving at that thing, and you look forward, you keep your eyes forward. That furrow will take care of itself. What Jesus is saying here is, you want to look back and go back and take care of the people at home, you're going to lose your path. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for this kind of work because Jesus says, I have my face set on Jerusalem. I'm going somewhere here and I'm inviting you into this same kind of thing, but you can't be halfway about this. Jesus says, follow me. Church, discipleship, whether it was then or now, is about staying focused on Jesus always. Otherwise, you remember the story last week? The parable of the sower And the seed that was thrown out, one of the kinds of seeds sprouted amongst the thorns, but the the thorns choked out that seed. Jesus says that's like those people who their faith grows up a little bit, but then their faith is choked out by the riches and the worries and the cares of this world. Jesus is telling these three people, don't let your faith, don't let your mission be choked out by all the cares of this world. Your father's going to die? Fine. There's people that can handle that. You go tell people about me. You want to say goodbye? Well, say goodbye, but don't look back. Stay forward focused. No person who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what's the message for us? It's not that every follower of Jesus needs to give up their home. It's not that it's bad to take care of our families or even our aging parents. Jesus isn't giving those kind of specific prescriptions to us. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you have to focus on me. And that's the message for us, church, because there are so many other things that vie for our attention every day. Right now, how many of you are wishing that I would just hush so you could get out of here and go to the next thing? I'm not Jesus. We know this. But our time spent together studying the word isn't this valuable, but how many of us are distracted thinking about something else? What's the message? Well, for me today, it's a question. What have I set my face upon? Jesus set his on his mission that was going to end up in Jerusalem. A plowman, if they're plowing a furrow, has their face set on that goal so that they can make a straight row. What is your face set upon? Church, what matters to you? I want to close this sermon with a challenge to the youngest people and the oldest people in this room 
and who might be watching online. To you young ones, to you young ones who are still figuring out what you're going to study, what you want to work at, have you asked God for guidance on that at all? Do you know that God has a plan for your life? He has a mission for you that will help promote his kingdom? Figuring out a life and a career should be about more than just how much money you can make and where you can live. I know, I know, it looks extravagant to be a middle school teacher at a private Christian school. I know that looks like the good life. But get beyond just the money and the prestige. What is God's calling in your life? Young people, are you asking God for that kind of clarity? Are you? Young people, are, are you thinking about the path that God has called you to. Young people, are you asking, asking your Christian parents if you have them, your Christian friends if you have them, the people around you right now, are you asking them, hey, what does it look like God might be calling to? Hey, I feel like God is calling me to be a teacher. Does this make any sense? Young people, are you talking about this with the people around you? Or are you just, are you just looking at the chart to see who makes the most money when they're 10 years out of school? Be careful, young people. Are you praying for God to show you a path? I hope you are. We need more pastors. We need more. I get to serve on the board of AMEC, which we help to, to plant pastors in churches that need them. It is difficult to find good pastors. God provides, but there is, not, there is not a huge group of people out there saying, I wish I could do it. We need more missionaries. We need people around the world to go and tell and develop churches. We need more Christian teachers in Christian schools and in public schools. We need more Christian teachers. Will you do that? I mean, who is going to do these things? We need more Christian doctors and nurses, people who can offer health care, people who can offer advice and healing in a way that doesn't just say, what can we do, but what should we do? Who is going to be this next generation of Christian doctors, nurses, teachers, missionaries, and pastors who are going to shape the world? Are any of you young ones thinking about this? Or is it just, what kind of money can I make? Can I be somewhere comfortable? Can I stay at home? Be careful. Be careful the filters that you use for these things. Sometimes God allows us to stay right home, and that's where we're to be missionaries, but not for everybody. Young people, are you asking? We need more Christian counselors. Every time I call a Christian counseling center and say, I have someone from Waterway who would love to meet with you, they say, all right, you know, and right now we're adding counselors. We have some more time. Not too long ago, it was six or eight weeks until a person could get into a Christian counseling center because there were just not enough Christian counselors. Who's going to do this? Young people, you can. If God calls you to this, you can do this. Is Jesus calling you? Now, this is not just for the young people, but you older ones. I'm going to let you decide whether you're one of these or not. But you older ones, you who are no longer so tied down with some of the responsibilities of raising children at home, or maybe you're retired and you're no longer in that hardcore career mode anymore, have you been asking God how to spend your time and your money? Maybe you all laugh at me in 20 years, you who are still here. Maybe my perspective will change when I'm in your shoes, but is your mission still clear to you? Is your face set on anything that matters? Do you still have your face set like Jesus did with Jerusalem? I'm concerned that too many parents my age whose kids are starting to leave the house are just in a make more money and enjoy the freedom kind of a mode. Is that what Jesus is calling you to? 
Hey, if that's what Jesus is calling you to, do it. But are you paying attention or are you just following the momentum? I'm concerned that too many grandparents have made idols of their grandchildren. Don't get me wrong. Be there for those who need you. Enjoy that blessing of family if you've got it. If your kids need help, help them as you can help them. But to my perhaps judgmental eyes, it seems that there are getting to be a lot of people in our world, even in our churches, who aren't really on any mission at all except to hang out with their grandkids. Love your family, but if that's your mission, that is not enough. That is not what discipleship is all about. You've got to have something else except for your family. Let the dead bury the dead. Christians, your life has to be bigger than just your family and your finances and your freedom. Are you still listening to the call of Jesus? Are you still on mission? Is your face set on anything or are you just focused on feeding it? Those are hard words. But this is how it would have felt if you were one of those three people talking to Jesus. Jesus says, I am on mission right now. And if you're going to follow me, don't do lip service. Don't just wait for your inheritance. Don't just think about home. Follow me. And the example is, you follow me, I could take a couple of fish and a couple of bread, and I can multiply it for everybody, and there'll be leftovers, a whole basket for each of you. Church, church, what kind of life are you living? Oh, it is so tempting here in this part of the world. It is so tempting because so many of us have faithful parents and grandparents who have left us a legacy. It is so tempting just to sit back and enjoy it and then on Sunday morning come and say, isn't this nice? I don't think that's all of what discipleship is. There has to be more. Are you seeking it? Are you seeking it? It's going to look a little different for all of us. But Jesus is calling you to have your face set on something, not just to be choked out by the thorns and distractions of riches, cares, and worries. All right, it is time to wrap up. That's enough of me yelling at you. But this is a big challenge for me, too. As I, in this middle part of my life, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to double my life yet. I'm, I'm more than halfway through it, I'm fairly certain. But in this middle part of my adult life, thinking about what am I doing here? What am I doing here and what am I doing here? I think about that a lot. What is it, Jesus, that my face is set on? And is it still set? I'm thinking about this all the time. I hope you are too. Don't let the momentum sweep you away because the momentum is not going to carry you towards Jesus. The world erodes all the other stuff. That's why we've been talking about this firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. Let, let's pray together as our worship team gets ready to lead us in a final song. God, you are our only sure foundation. So help us to stand on you. Lord, help us to stay focused on you. Jesus, you showed us. You gave us an example, and Luke recorded it, of how you were focused on your mission, even though it cost you. Jesus, help us to have the courage to be focused on our mission, the one that you've planted in us, the one that you've called us to. Help us to be focused on our mission with the same kind of passion that knows that it may cost us, it may hurt, it may mean our lives here on earth, but this earthly life is not all there is. Lord, help us to remember and know this. 
Lord, for those in the room who are on mission, Lord, let it be an even deeper commitment than what we've had before. For those who are at the right place, whether that's at home or far from home, Lord, let us know that we are where you want us to be. But Lord, if there are any of us who need to be corrected, if there are any of us who need to be guided differently, if there are any of us who need to just let the dead bury the dead, Lord, speak to us. And Lord, give us courage to go where you call us. Lord, we want to be your disciples. Help us not to be choked out by the riches and worries and cares of this world. Amen.